All right. Welcome back to the Ultimate Shift podcast. I haven't done this one in a while, but uh, since we have Dmitry Levinsky, am I saying your last name right? Lipinski. Lipinski in the house today. I figured we would uh, try to grab your story because for our listeners and and uh, audience and watchers here, uh, some of a uh, lot of people that know me in the roofing industry will they'll all know you since you're a big you're big roofing influencer however there's always more to the story behind the scenes on i'm curious how you know you came from russia to america to why roofing can you start off a little bit by talking about like your early life like you know what that was like and why did you ultimately choose roofing so uh raised in siberia the coldest part of russia Ever since I was a teenager, 12, 13, I told my parents that I'm not going to live here. Uh, very dark place as far as like literally dark. Uh, it gets dark at 3 o'clock uh, in the wintertime. So like in the summertime, we have pretty much we don't have night. Like it's, you know, in the, it's always bright. And in the wintertime, we don't have enough sun. We don't have enough oxygen. It's super cold. It's minus 60, minus 70 Celsius. It's colder than Canada. Jeez. Uh, I just hate it. Like everything is gray, a lot of snow, but buildings are gray. Just depressing place. Uh, as a matter of fact, suicide rate in Scandinavian countries are very high for the same reason. It's high in Russia, Siberia, because you don't have vitamin D. People just depressed, moody. And as a result, it just leads to people often say, why Russians don't smile? Well, a lot of it is harsh conditions, you know, mm-hmm. second is the culture. <clears throat> but um, told my parents I'm not going to live here. Um, after college, went to university. And uh, I was 20 when I um, decided that I'm going to move to another country. I have five countries to go to, uh, like to consider. It was Germany, Israel, Spain. And the United States actually was the easiest to travel to. Uh, if you're a student at that time, they have a lot of programs like uh, student, uh, summer exchange workers. Like for United States, it's cheap labor. You guys attract a lot of students from all over the uh, world. Programs like uh, Camp Counselor USA. You would have, if you go to any popular, like your Disney's, your Wisconsin Dells here, it's gonna have a lot of international students because they've been paying, like I, my, my program was worked in a Wisconsin uh, summer camp for boys, uh, actually Chicago-based group organized camp in Wisconsin, Eagle River, Wisconsin is the first city that I, I came to, population 1500. I made 1500 bucks for this entire summer, but they provide you food, you practice English, so it's win-win for students from Russia mm-hmm. or all over the world, you practice English, you make decent money for the student to make 1500 bucks in one summer is great. But as I was living country and going here for this, for like I knew that my visa is going to be given me for four months, three months. I have to work in a camp one month. I can travel. And then I already have plans set in motion that I'm going to get my social security because it was work visa. You're actually mm-hmm. allowed to. Yeah. So came to the country legally, got social security, and then before I left, I told my parents, I told everyone, I'm not coming back. And they're like, are you crazy? I did not know a single person in the United States. All my friends, I made them here and convinced one of the guys who was in, uh, in that summer camp to stay with me. After camp was over, they provided us bus to Chicago. 
the guy who decided to stay with me, he had to send his money back. He has like thousand bucks left back to his parents because they borrowed money to get him mm -hmm. here. I didn't have that problem. So I have $1,500. We went to Chicago together. I told him what's mine is yours. We're just going to split it in half. At that time, I have like l less than thousand bucks left. We buy our first vehicle. Off uh, of 1500 bucks? Uh, I paid 600 bucks for Ford Taurus. The car did not make 100 miles. <laughs> they sent me lemon and <laughs> literally all money I have. I, so uh, we actually driving to a uh, job interview and did not get the job. And the car did not actually <laughs> make it there. So literally died on the highway, pulled over. Um, like uh, first exit transmission went bad, engine went bad, knocking. Like it was bad. Literally, uh, Milwaukee uh, Road in Chicago, it died in front of a used car dealership. Walked out, go inside, talked. We have two guys with us who were going back to Russia, and one was from my city, and two who decided to stay. So it's four of us. And so I go talk to this guy, found the car right there. Like literally, car dies here, and there's used car dealership. We go in, there's Pontiac Transport. You have to keep moving in life and even that like looking back now like how we were not depressed how we were like not, yeah. like we did not care like I, my mentality is burn the ships no matter what happened and, and i had a ticket back so i had the round ticket mm -hmm. and in two weeks i supposed to go back and all of this is happening i'm like i don't care i, I lied to my parents i slept in that pontiac transport in september we spent entire months in that car couldn't afford anything we didn't have job and it got down to like very few dollars in my pocket. I borrowed $500 from guy who was going back. I said, I'll find a job, I'll make money and I'll ship it to you. Mm -hmm. it took me like two months to return to that. He has some money, so he didn't need, like it was his yeah. savings. So anyway, bought the P Pontiac Transport, lived in it for a month. That was early beginning. Like, And I lead with this story because later I became illegal. My first job was $6 an hour in the Delhi department in Chicago. I live American dream. I lied to my parents when I was living in the car. I would call them. We didn't have cell phones. It was a flip phone, but they have a pay phone and you could buy like $5 card. I would call them. How are you doing? Everything is good. We're in the apartment. I have a mm -hmm. good job. Lie through my teeth. I did not want my parents to worry about me. And I said, I'm going to die on the streets, but I'm not coming back to mm -hmm. Siberia. So do you think that, that most people... In order, like t when you talk about leaving Siberia and most people just stay, even though it's depressing, they don't leave because they don't have money or two, a lot of people probably get stuck in places where maybe they want to get away from because they don't know how to survive without family. I think it's um, in Russia, we have a saying proverb. It's better to have a small bird in your hand than a big bird in the sky. So people know they're broke. People know that they're poor. But it's all they have, and they have some kind of stability, just enough to be, to you know, to get by. Like if you live in a small town, it's risky to go to big city. It's risky to go after big opportunities, mm. you know. And uh, my life, it wasn't bad. Like um, just to add perspective, uh, eighty percent of Russia and yes, of oil comes from Siberia, so there is money. Um, you know, we were not, w w I grew up super poor, but when I was 16, 17, we were, you know, uh, economy was way better. We were richer. We had a house. We have, you know, cars. My dad uh, on my 18 years, um, 
gave me a car, I was a taxi driver. You could make money, you could, uh, like economy, Putin just became a president. Everything was turning around. Uh, Russia was experienced, a lot of oil money was coming to Russia, investment. So I left the country because I did not want to raise my kids there. I didn't have even girlfriend, but I knew that, you know, if I stay, like I did not like the culture. I didn't like the city I was in. You know, I was bullied a lot in school. Um, I just didn't like the culture. Like there was a lot of other issues, like social mm -hmm. issues. And I was just dreaming about the United States at that time. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna go there. So I did yeah. not escape from, my story is not going from poverty. Like it was going from country that changed. I mean, if you live in China in the past 10, 20 years, I mean, China has more billionaires than the United States has. People don't think about that. Like Russia, the same thing. Potential there is insane. You could make it in business in Russia, but it was other reasons. Some people, yeah. like my, my video guy is here for political re reasons. He would be in jail because he's, you know, and today I would be in jail because I would be against Putin, for example. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people fly yeah. from there. So there's different reasons for immigration, but the reality is, do you have what it takes to leave everything behind? My wife always tells me, how can you do it? Because even here in the United States, I lived in Chicago, I lived in Atlanta, we lived in Minnesota, and I sold two businesses. And my wife always said, how do you do it? And for me, if I sell a business, start something else, I never look back. You close mm -hmm. the door, you move on. I'm the same way. Just, just like you know, your ex-girlfriends, ex-relationships, it lasts while it lasts, and then you have to move on. You can't dwell in the past. You live and you learn. Yep. So what ultimately, I mean, you're, you're uh, I don't think anybody would argue the case that you probably have the most influence when it comes to the roofing industry, especially like the residential side of, of the roofing industry today, like tackling corporate companies and and taking them uh up against you know their word or whatever claims like everything you just teach and and try to help uh roofers like for instance for us like we wouldn't be where we are today in the residential division without you it was your your guidance kind of your coaching that that helped us get to where we are today and so for you like was that just something that you just took that first roofing job because it was available or did you have an interest in the industry or, you know, that, and then you started doing it and then you just realized like, this is something you really love and you want to dive into and do more of the journalist journalism side of it. Or how did that kind of all come? I think it started accidentally and I grew like, I opened up to all the opportunities that was thrown at me. So my, first jobs were siding installer then um, in in about seven years I changed 10 construction jobs I've done it all like siding roofing flooring you name it painting um, installation I work in a cabinet shop for a year I work for general contractor for two years we flip homes like I work with my hands and mm -hmm. if that builder remodeler did not close doors to bankruptcy in 2009 I still could work for someone else. I actually did not think I'll have business. Not that I didn't want to, but I didn't know, like, I, ha I have what it takes at the time. I didn't consider myself an entrepreneur. I'm a teacher by trade. I went to university to become a teacher. I always really? wanted to teach. Yes, that's my degree. That's so why you're so good at teaching this. Exactly. So three years hmm. in college, full time. Uh, actually, my first degree is teacher of theater. I supposed to teach kids 
in a school theater. You know, have you a music teacher? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm yeah. An art teacher. I'm a theater teacher. So that's wow. why I understand how they make movies. Uh, Stanislavski system is what Hollywood is all built on. So we we would study songs, theater, like movies, and pretty much make like you have to understand music, how to do the soundtrack for the stage. I could take 20 kids and do like Shakespeare for two hours on the stage, like Romero Juliet, like open up a kid someone who can't talk he can't walk like get them memorize stuff and actually be comfortable on the stage so that was my first degree and then i major in history after that in university i love history and for me that was my jam so two years and after second year of university i moved to the united states and i realized i cannot be teacher here i have to graduate like i didn't have money to go to college i i didn't know how to like it wasn't an option so the only thing i could do is work with my hands yeah. And I love working, so it wasn't a problem, but that's how I got into construction. But then in 2009, my boss files bankruptcy. At that time, I have all the tools and everything, and I came home. I told my wife I will never work for anyone else, and I never did. I opened a flooring company, started getting jobs from Craigslist. Then there's a little platform in Atlanta called Kadzu. It's like Tomtech now. And uh, start killing it. Uh, but then my after two years, my mother-in-law in Minnesota – gets cancer and i came home one day i said and sh- we don't i didn't have my parents here yet my uh, they came later i came home one day and i told my wife let's move back to minneapolis to be close to your mom she asked me what are you gonna do there like you're you're so successful here the business you were, you were in atlanta we were in oh really i spent okay. six years in atlanta okay i didn't know that and yep so i got married in minneapolis in 2007 and uh I have this cabinet job through the friend, so I moved, and we, after we got married, next day after our wedding, brought my wife to Minneapolis, uh, Atlanta, we have four kids there, and then when my mother-in-law in 2012 got cancer, I moved back, and my wife asked me, what are you going to do in Minnesota? I said, same thing I do here, I'll just open another company, and I was in love with the floors, I loved the business, and I sold it and worked for the company for eight months. Once we have companies still in business, I just visited them four weeks ago when I was in Atlanta. So when I came to Minneapolis, I was in search what to do. So I asked all my buddies. Back in the day, I worked with the siding guy. So I called him, my best friend, said, listen, if you would start, uh, by the way, Alex, my best buddy, used to pay me 10 bucks an hour in 2006, hanging vinyl siding for six months, worked for him. He just did a directory claim for me, made like three grand in like three days, <laughs> uh, fixing jobs another, after another oh, contractor. D- wow, that's so, awesome. So someone messed it up. It was like $15,000 job, mm-hmm. cost me with materials and everything, about 5K. But Alex, I called him. He was obviously an expert. I said, Alex, if you would start a company today, like brand new, what would you do? What trade would it be? He said, roofing. I'm like, why not setting? Like, money's in the roofing. And I called everybody I knew. And ask the same question. For me, I'm a question guy. Like, I'm not know-it-all. I'm going to ask and ask. And especially if, like, even like yesterday, I tie my, uh, my beard, like, a little bit darker. And I did a A-B test. And mm-hmm. like, hey, guys, I'm debating because my beard has a lot of, like, light colors. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how it looks. And some people told me, like, you should add a little color. Just be consistent. So I did it. And I came to my audience and asked a question. Like, don't be afraid to ask questions because you don't know it all. People will tell you. And I yeah. hate for asking it because it was 50-50. So yeah. people like, 
darker, some people lighter, and I'm like, you're not helping at all. Like I was hoping it's like majority of the people will pick one another. Anyway, so I call all my buddies and ask them what's the best trade. And everybody was like, here's the thing, every builder, every remodeler love roofing. No one will turn down a roofing job because it's quick, easy, profitable, everybody knows it. I'm like, there's something about roofing, but it's competitive, it's hard, there's a lot of liability. So that's how I got into roofing. It's the only trade I did not do every day. I've done painting, cabinets, floors, decks, everything. But I've done few roofs, but mm -hmm. not like everyday trade. And I started, I did not care what to start. And today I don't care. Like if I move to Arizona tomorrow and there's a big demand for pool guys, I'll open the pool mm -hmm. company. I just believe that you have to have one trade in order to grow something. You have to be specialist, not offer it all kind mm -hmm. of deal. And I, you know, if, if I go to s certain markets and there's like drywall companies in need, I'll open the drywall company. Yeah. The trade itself does not matter. It's just the business around the trade. I think that whenever I watch or listen to people who have done multiple companies or reached a level of success or like, like what you have, I think there's one common trait I've noticed and that's being the, having the ability to pivot and adapt and adjust. Like you said earlier, like leaving, when you sell, you sell, you go on, you find something else and you just dive into that and you become the best you can at that. And apparently you came, you loved roofing because then now you're you do most of what you do is tied to that industry. It I grew guess. in me. You know, uh, you asked me about journalism and doing like I love digging into stories. I like YouTube. I like creating content. I always been a creative person, like being in theater and all of that. But um, Patrick Bad David recently did a podcast, or maybe it was Joe Rogan. They were talking about Erin uh, Brokovich. There is a movie, it's actually based on a true story. Erin Brokovich, she was assistant lawyer for this um, legal firm. And um, there was a, I think it was, story took place like 30 years ago. It was a big oil company or a big chemical company. And they poisoned essentially rivers and like pretty much all around them. And uh, they were investigating. So pretty much Aaron Brokovich is the one who brought them to justice and make them pay to all the people who died from looking. And there's a few people like that. And I think it was Joe Rogan. And he said that like this world needs to, to have to have more Aaron Brokovich. But the thing is like it happens in every industry. It happens like I, you can't change the world. I cannot change you know, uh, pharmaceutical industry. We have opioid crisis now. I don't know much about it, but if I go to Netflix, I love seeing expose videos. I like, mm -hmm. you know, like uh, rotten, great yep. series. Like you watch something like that, you're like, I did not know. Thank you for making that. And I wanted to be Aaron Brokovich in my industry because I create content that I like to consume. I yeah. like when big brands getting exposed. I like whistleblowers i like bold people who are not afraid to speak up and why would i want to uh, mm -hmm. don't want to speak up so s see something say something and that was my main principles i'm not a money driven person i'm a purpose driven person like as a, any teacher would should be so when i saw the problem in the roofing industry Early on, I started creating content. I accidentally became a YouTuber. I actually asked my people working for me to be the face. It's a f funny fact. 
I'm an immigrant, right? So I have kids who were born here. So they're American Russians. I'm Russian American. And mm-hmm. that's never going to change. I'm always going to have accent and stuff. So my kids are mocking me how I speak to this day. Like other Russians mocking me. So think about that. Think about turning on camera, going on YouTube, starting something with zero followers. What kind of pressure and what mm-hmm. kind of mocks and jokes you're yeah. going to go over? Like before you get recognized, you will have like at first everybody's going to mock you. Everybody's going to challenge you, which will make you a better content creator. But once you achieve something and you don't quit for five years, now Russian community actually accepts me and recognizes me. Now mm-hmm. everybody knows me. I, I go to churches, like pick up my kids or like, oh, we watch your videos or like actually people accepted me for who i am today but early on it was kind of like oh you're a youtuber now right yeah even what my are you kids trying to do like they can't wrap their heads around it exactly so early on my kids were making fun of me and my first couple of videos it's, it's a fact you can actually go and t- t- uh, if you go to a stormproofing roofing youtube channel i i did not have money to advertise and I knew, like, I was reading trends and I was studying marketing. And I'm like, okay, Google owns everything. YouTube is free. Facebook is free. I did not have Facebook before I opened a roofing company. And when I decided to open Facebook page for Storm Group Roofing, I realized that Facebook makes you open a personal page first. So I opened personal page, <laughs> page and now everybody started following. I did not even want to be on social media. Mm-hmm. So it all start, started coming together. And then I st- um, asked my daughter and my son, I literally created this video, how to choose a roofing color. I put seven-year-old Anastasia Lipinski, my daughter, and she was repeating phrases after me. I filmed and edited that video myself. She's like, my name is Anastasia, and in this video, I'm gonna show you, uh, teach you how to uh, pick a roofing color. And phrase by phrase, we did that video. I'll show it to you, remind wow. me. And the reason I did it, because I was embarrassed of my English. So I, I did it, uh, then my son and my daughter did another, my son, Nikita, he was like six at a time. Uh, he did a video, how to install Malarkey shingles. I asked my sales reps, back them. They all agreed, but we never g- get to actually record it. Uh, can you be like a spokesperson? Can we do some videos? And after like so many attempts to do it, I'm like, I guess I'm the only one who's gonna do it. Mm-hmm. And then I finally, it took me two weeks to record the first video. It was five problems with this one brand. My crews actually came to me and they said, like, if you're going to keep installing this brand, we're not going to work for you. I'm like, show me the problems. So they showed me five problems and I did like five problems with the shingle. That was my oh, first wow. video. And you cannot find it. It was deleted later for legal reasons. Cannot mention it, but that was how it started. Mm-hmm. And then I started seeing this big push. Like, first of all, what happened is I've seen s- how many people agreed with me. But then I got in deep trouble because of it. Can't even talk today about it. But I realized, I, you know, I started something that was very unique. Like, I was speaking the truth. I always have consumers' best interests in mind. Mm-hmm. So to this day... Those videos are very popular. I did one of the videos like James Hardy versus LP Smart Sides versus Vinyl Siding. To this day, they're getting tons of views, hundreds of thousands of views. But I just, like, I was a siding installer. That was my trade. And the homeowners was asking me, what do you recommend, LP or James Hardy? So I look at their commercials, and I kind of was this MythBuster guy. I'm like, okay, they claim this. Like, LP claims that they're harder. Like, no, it's not. I, I rented... Um, uh, shooting range and we went and shoot bullets in the siding because they have a commercial with a jotting 
like uh, j jousting, jousting mm -hmm. when they uh, on a horse. They're like, okay, look, LP smart side, you can't break it with a joist. I'm like, what does that has to prove? Like, well, it's not medieval times anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so let's go freaking get a shooting range and shoot bullets. And it actually takes three James Hardy boards to stop a bullet and nine LP smart side bullets uh, boards really? to stop the. It, it goes through it like a butter. Wow. Uh, I'm like, but what I had is uh, like, so I see bullshit marketing. I know that James Hardy is better product, but I'm like, how can I prove it? So I made a video about it. <laughs> it goes viral. It yeah. was so cool. Like that's how my journey started. Uh, I wanted to bring business to my company, obviously. I wanted to educate consumers, but along the way, I start pissing off big brands mm -hmm. and I start making main name for myself for speaking up the truth. Yeah. What do you think it is about when you look at like Siberian or the or the Russian people versus the American people? Like every Russian person I know has more of like your mentality of like, hey, I'll rock the boat in the name of, of justice or in the name of right. Whereas Americans seem to be like, ah, you know, I don't I don't want to rock the boat. I'm too comfortable. What what about the two cultures do you think it, it, you coming from there and, and living in this culture, what do you think and see is the biggest reasons why maybe the Russian people have or that culture you stand up maybe quicker than most um, than the American culture? Uh, is it the hardship or the harder life potentially that you face there? They're kind of like, I don't know. I've, I've always been curious about that. So, well, I think America has plenty of people who are, you know, who can speak up bold and stuff like that. And they usually sure. become media person. Yeah. And Russia also have a lot of people who would rather stay quiet. I think so Russians are very outspoken in general. So we don't smile a lot. As a matter of fact, when I grew up and it changes now, the culture is changing. But when I grew up smiling, like, um, you know, how American smiles. And it c comes down uh, all the way to Dale Carnegie. Like, smile doesn't cost you anything. Mm -hmm. If you smile, it's all, like, psychological. Yeah. You know, your mood, everything, right? But for Russians, they never understood it. Like, for Russian, if you're smiling at me and you don't know me, you're fake. Like, what are you smiling ah. about? So that's how the mentality is completely different. You keep your emotions to yourself, but Russians will talk and will say something out loud they, they don't care about um, about expression expressing their emotions so americans will smile at you but they will not say stuff mm -hmm. russian will not smile at you but you will hear mm -hmm. you know the you know they will be rude to you or it, for you it's rude but in russian culture it's not always rude we i guess that's how russians are mm -hmm. like on the street in school you you're not supposed to argue, but you you're supposed to speak up. Yeah. You're supposed to say something, and if you're not saying something, you you like you're fake. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's how we raised. As a matter of fact, even even like similar culture like on the streets, like right. Uh, if you look at the you know gangs and you know like in a little bit rougher communities, you're supposed to have a dialogue. You cannot fake it. You cannot keep silent. And if you say mean something, if you think something, you have to say it. Otherwise, people will call you out for not saying. Yeah. 
Yeah, and and even in America, there's there's areas that like are more like that. And then there's like you know the the southern the south, like the southern hospitality has also kind of been known as the hey we'll smile but then we'll stab you in the back type of thing. Like so it's it's I, not. I think just it's also being comfortable. So so many people are comfortable, and when you're comfortable, you don't want to lose what you have. Like if you have a good job. Mm-hmm. and you're afraid to lose the job if you say something so it's yeah. it, it's plain it's safe like yeah. we're, like a lot of russians they they have nothing to lose they're like yeah. okay i'll just confront you i'll just say what like, yeah. right but americans are so comfortable that like russians don't care because maybe it's like i don't care if i keep this job or like i mean their yeah. political correctness comes from getting in trouble for something and most Russians will not get in trouble for speaking yeah. up. When it comes to entrepreneurship, like from when you, we were talking about 2006 and I started a business in 2005, um, I've had multiple different things I've done over the years before I got into roofing. Do you think now for a young guy wanting to start something, do you think it is harder today to start from scratch than it was in say 2005? I think it's easier than ever. Uh, so f- cell phones changed everything. Smartphones changed everything. It's easier than ever to go viral. It's easier than ever to create a content. It's easier than ever. It's uh, Internet is the greatest I- equalizer. So back in the day, I- even in 2005, you have to have capital. You have to spend money. You have to advertise. Today, with the creativity like minimum creativity like if i would open a shop restaurant whatever like you you literally like i asked my seven-year-old the other day uh actually my father-in-law asked uh my seven-year-old how do you make money like how do you max how are you gonna make hundred thousand dollars and he said probably start the youtube channel that's seven-year-old for you Mm -hmm. because the thing is you can turn it on and broadcast yourself to the world like you are no different than apple or tesla you have the same mm-hmm. channel, like with all media companies. Yeah. You, you can, uh, it's also easier than ever to raise capital, to find partner for your expertise. So if you're expert, if you know something really, really well, so let's say you're amazing roofer and you just, or you're good at sales or you can produce something. You go in and create a video. It's like, hey, I have a dream. I want to do this. I started a company. I need a partner. You know mm-hmm. how many offers you're gonna get? How many eyeballs? Like Facebook, Instagram, mm-hmm. social media, TikTok, and I mean, quality people even. Ex- ex- very quality people. Like it's easier than ever to raise money. It's easier. Like I mean, don't even get me started on like your chat GPTs and stuff. I mm-hmm. mean, or building a website, or starting a podcast. Yeah. Like you mm-hmm. already have all the tools. You just have to put a little energy, a little creativity. The rest is history. Yeah, yeah. I think it's it. Even uh, like when I first started, I had to go to the bank to borrow money. And now now it feels like where, say, 2005, for instance, or, or 1990s, you know, you you were more limited before you had before we all had these tools. And like to think when was Google started? It wasn't Google is not that old when no. you in relatively speaking. And so now it feels like you're playing at a at a world level. Like you can connect with someone from anywhere, or you could get there to your point. You could face get a Facebook started like 2006, 2007. Yeah, yeah. You could get a partner for your business 
or a, uh, an idea from somebody in Russia, London, wherever, like we're no longer just set to your, your geographical area. And I think that's... And people actually like it. People like this online internet community. I mean, you, you can find a person, you can find a, a date, you can find the food. You, I mean, mm -hmm. it's unlimited. I, I love that answer because I hear it sometimes from people wanting to start something and and you've discussed it and we've talked about it before where it's like well everything's just made everything you know the competition's just there it's like how am I everything's harder to do nowadays no it's 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 so much easier with the tool like you can have we don't even have we we have a we'll do this year uh, I expect eight nine million we don't even have a a, a landline phone <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Yep. Because you, we're more mobile than we've ever been before. So anyway, I just think it's easier. But, but think about all the side hustles that you have. So you can um, you can start your daydream job, your business, Monday through Friday, like you know, working half a day on it. But then mm -hmm. in the evenings, you can go Uber. You can DoorDash. Yeah. You, you can. So easy to make money. Exactly. It's way easier. Well, uh, well, we can start getting out of here. But the, since this podcast is called The Ultimate Shift, when you think of, of somebody, if there's a, somebody in the audience that a guy or girl, whatever, somebody wants to make that ultimate shift from, maybe they don't have enough of money. Maybe they want to live in a different place. They want to make that ultimate shift in life to become something bigger, better uh, for like you, like coming from that car that broke down the road to where you are today, like what is just a piece of advice that you would give a uh, young or old person, just anybody that was wanting to make a shift to do better, be better, like uh, create more money and live their dream? What's a piece of advice that you would give? I give everybody the same advice for the past 15, 17 years in the United States is if you have plan B, plan A is not going to happen. In the roofing industry, I see a lot of guys want to start their business, but they're subcontractors so they they want to have a business but they also want to work for someone else and i always tell them you either business owner or you subcontractor so like if you're subcontracting right now or maybe you're labor you cannot sit on two chairs and two different trains that go in opposite direction mm -hmm. you have to like you will commit to something and you will grow it and you will become successful you look back and you will be shocked how fast time passed and that uh, once upon a time you were thinking about that you're not gonna do it. But if you're gonna try to sit in two chairs, if you're gonna have a plan B, the plan A is just not gonna happen. Mm -hmm. It's all or nothing. If you wanna be successful, like just identify what is it that you want. You wanna be an artist, you will become an, I mean, look, uh, I love studying biographies. Uh, recently was, uh, what was the actor? Like if you study any famous guy from Nicolas Cage to whatever, Arnold Schwarzenegger, read like Arnold Schwarzenegger has uh, books but also very uh, motivational speaker uh, speaking uh, speeches to you know audience Desmond Washington they all have it think about how people were getting to Hollywood Schwarzenegger wanted to become left leave the Austria he wanted to become actor bodybuilder actually fascinating story he's seen the guy on the magazine and he's like I want to be like that mm -hmm. and he did it he gave it all so he became a bodybuilder. Then he, be, I mean, he was a construction worker at first mm -hmm. in Hollywood, but look what he became. And he actually even, uh, even in his political career, he's like, what's next? 
well, um, he couldn't run for president because he couldn't. Yeah, he, he's, he not was, he's not Yeah. Yeah. So the highest position he ever could do was governor, and he ran mm -hmm. for it, and he won. I mean, that's just one person not having plan Bs, going all mm -hmm. in for something. And stories like that are everywhere. What is it that you want? If you want to dominate TikTok and be number one, you will figure out, like, study guys like Mr. Beast. Mr. Beast wanted to be a YouTuber, but he gave it all for hours and hours. He didn't, like, he studied it. He surrounded himself with other YouTubers. He became number one. Anyone can become Mr. Beast mm -hmm. today. Like, people are doing it. But if you only treat it like a hobby, if you have 500 other things to do, like, oh, I'll do this. If it's not going to work, I'll do this. As a matter of fact, here's my biggest challenge to special construction workers. One of the reasons you have so many trades that you offer, like I see roofers doing, you know, windows, siding, gutters, fences, like roofing in uh, fences. Mm -hmm. If you study, if you talk to people why it's happening psychologically, is because of your insecurities. You think that you're not gonna have enough roofing jobs, and when you don't have roofing jobs, you'll paint, mm -hmm. you'll do drywall, you'll do yeah. tile. That's, you know, but in reality, it's opposite. You cannot scale that, you cannot be all people, to all service to all people, you have to narrow it down. So when you narrow it down, it's not having plan B. Yeah. I sold my roofing company and people say, why did you sell? Because it was um, the reason I sold my company. Because I was sitting on two chairs, I could not do. I could not recommend contractors and being contractor. There's a conflict of interest, mm -hmm. and I sold five million dollar roofing business. It was a great company. I loved what I did it, while it lasted, and now mm -hmm. I love this even more. But I would not achieve what I achieve with a roofing channel if I still have a roofing business. I mean, I yeah. have my experience. But you, you, you have to focus. Like, I was traveling too much. I would either neglect and ruin my roofing company because I was doing this too much. I teach what I preach, and mm -hmm. I do what I teach, is yeah. you have to narrow it down. Don't have plan B. I like that. I think, like, even sometimes when you go on and on plan A, it, it, you crash and burn, but then you learn from that. Like, I've had people tell me, oh, you just got lucky in the roofing industry. No. It's the three or four businesses I've tried that I've fell flat on my face and then you learn and then you apply it to something else and then something works. And I think like a lot of times too, it's also stepping out in faith. Like every big hire I've made in this company has, I didn't think I could afford to do it. I was like, man, but then you do it and they just falls in place. Or when we brought our residential team in, we're just like, man, this is scary. Like you're, you're bringing in another 15 K a week in, in payroll and you know, like, what if it doesn't work and what if we run out of, but so we've not run out of jobs it's just like it's once you put it in place it's almost like taking a step of faith out and then everything just kind of fills in i'm, fills I'm in so itself. glad right now it's music to my ears that you said it because same thing i've never hired a person that already have money to pay them for even like a couple months usually or like a year so if i hire someone eighty thousand a year it's not like i have eighty thousand exactly but what i teach people is this if you have if you need $4,000 for yourself and your receptionist needs 4000 but you don't have her yet, and your repair guy needs $4,000 but you don't have him yet, I would argue with anyone out there, it's easier for three people, receptionist, repair guy, and an owner to make $12,000 together than one person do all three hats to do 4000 Can mm -hmm. you do it? Yes. 
but you're not going to be as profitable and you're not going to go there. But scale goes the same way. It's easier to make $500,000 a year for five people, 100 each, right? Than one person to do 100K. Amen. Exactly. That's how it works. All right. Well, we'll wrap it up. I appreciate you being here, Dimitri. Absolutely. This is awesome. My pleasure. Uh, I would love to hear any comments and subscribe if anything we said is useful. If, if Leave a comment below. Let us know what you think. And uh, yeah, thanks for watching. Awesome.